Hey guys, this is Drake. Thanks so much for tuning in to our City Church podcast here. It's an honor to have you. Hey, at the end of this episode, we'd love for you to take a moment, subscribe to this podcast channel if you haven't already. Also subscribe to our YouTube channel so we can continue to serve you with content that we're putting out on a weekly basis. And in addition, if we can serve you in any way or connect with you in community in any way, you can visit our website at citychurchboulder.com and we would love to connect with you there. And lastly, and most importantly, I hope this content is helpful to you. It's encouraging, it's inspiring, and you leave better than you showed up. Enjoy. Hey guys, welcome to City Church. Such an honor to have you here today. Hey, listen, if you're a first-time guest with us, or if you are a guest who's been engaging online for a minute, but we've never had the privilege of meeting in person, I would love for you to use that text in. Let us know so we can help you get connected. Would love to meet you in person. You can come to one of our in-person outside gatherings at 5 p.m. on Sundays. Would love to get you connected. Stay connected in community. Hey, we're in a new series called You're Not Far. It's been encouraging so far. I hope you're going to lean in. I wanted to kick off today with a question. Have you ever had just like a complete disruption to your worldview? Like the lights came on for the first time around something and and it was actually really important. Like, have you ever been in a moment when you were, you know, you were wrong about something and then the truth, it just like hit you so hard that when it hits you, you weren't even like slightly upset about having to go apologize because it was just that important. Like the truth was so clear. It was so, it was so right that you ended up wanting what was right over being right. Have you ever been in that position? I mean, for me, I feel like since I became a follower of Jesus, I've had my worldview flip multiple times, like where the lights would come on and my paradigms would shift. And, and so today I, I just wanted to help us kind of get into the conversation. And I thought I'd tell you a funny story, like kind of a minor uh, shift that Jesus did in my life. So um, I became a Jesus follower at 15. But, uh, you know, after I started following Jesus for a few years, uh, I, I started to let religion creep into my relationship with Jesus. And so started to kind of add rules and ideas of, of just behavior and morals or whatever that, that I thought kind of made me a better Christian. And it's like I kind of opened up a free room for rent for this little like mini Pharisee that lived in my heart, this little rule follower that, that made me think that I was closer to God because of my behavior or my performance. And uh, one of the areas that this little Pharisee got really excited about was the arena and the topic of alcohol. Somewhere along the way, um, I could never emphatically like prove that, that alcohol was wrong in the New Testament. But because um, I could at least say, well, it can be abused and it can be misused, that this little Pharisee in my heart said, well, because it can get to that arena, we should just avoid it altogether. And then it turned into not just what Drake should do, but, well, really, all Christians should just avoid it altogether. And so all of a sudden, this little Pharisee made a rule in my heart that, like, Jesus' followers just shouldn't drink alcohol. And and so then, uh, rewind probably a little over a decade ago, Daniel and Michelle, who are on our staff, they're some great friends. We were living in Texas, and we went over. They were just married, went over to their new house. We were going to have dinner with them, Danielle and I. And I went to the fridge to grab a drink, and I opened up the fridge, and I look on one of the shelves, and to my utter disgust, I see a bottle of chocolate wine. And you would have thought I found a dead body in their fridge because this little Pharisee in my heart was going berserk that my Jesus-following friends would be drinking alcohol. And so fast forward a few years, years later, and God is doing a paradigm shift. And it's like, I mean, in a moment, the lights come on as he's kind of transitioning us to Boulder. We haven't moved yet, but like he's called us to plant a new church, and he's just shifting a lot of things. And in that process, some reason, Jesus puts his hand back on the alcohol conversation. He says, hey, you've added some rules and, and regulations here that I never asked you to carry. 
And, and not only is alcohol a gift from me, and yes, it can be abused, but as long as it's not in that arena, it's something good. The bigger issue is you created some barriers, you created some things that are actually keeping people from me. And you're making it harder for people to get to me than I want it to be. And, and God put his hand on that thing and, and just changed my whole paradigm. And so now I require all of our staff members to drink. I'm just joking, okay? That was a total joke. But seriously, paradigm shifted on that conversation. And as we're ha having this conversation today, I, I just want you to think about it for a second. Man, like Jesus was a total savage when it came to turning the lights on about God, like a savage in a good way, right? He had this paradigm shifting, prejudice exposing, barrier breaking, radical love that changed everything. And it was like everyone before Jesus was just like stumbling around in the dark, stumbling over religious rules and traditions and regulations. And then boom, Jesus comes in, turns the lights on, and everything is so simple and so clear when it comes to having a relationship with God. And so today we're going to continue our conversation in the book of Mark. We're looking at the story of Jesus as told by the eyewitness account of Simon Peter, who was one of Jesus' closest followers and is being dictated and written down by his companion, John Mark, because Peter was a fisherman and uneducated and unable probably to write. And so Peter's sitting down with Mark, writing the story of Jesus. And we, we opened up this conversation last week. And, and, and before we get into the conversation, I just, I just want to remind you, like, I, I don't know where you're, you're, you're tuning in, like if you're you know, spiritually interested or you're not sure where you land on your relationship with God or you're not, not really sure, you know, maybe you walked away from faith, you stayed away from faith because of different barriers. And I think one of the barriers we get stuck on is, is like the Bible says. Like maybe you hear those words, the Bible says, and you just kind of cringe a little bit uh, because when people say that, you just want to come back and say, well, let me tell you what else the Bible says. Like it just, it bothers you. Well, listen, I don't want you to hear me reading from the Bible today. What I want to hear, what I want us to really lean into is there was no Bible at the time of the account that we're reading of the life of Jesus. There was no B-I-B-L-E. This is uh, uh, John Mark sitting down documenting the experiences firsthand from Peter who lived life with Jesus for three years and who was utterly convinced that not only what Jesus came to do was good news, but he was the son of God. And so that's how Peter introduces the story in Mark 1. He says, hey, this is the good news. Mark says, hey, give it to me. Like, just lay it out. And Peter says, all right, here it is. This is the good news. And I don't know, you know, if you've come up against Christianity and you come up against versions of faith, and, and if you ever come up against anything that's less than good news, Peter would say, I think you've come up against the wrong version because I'm utterly convinced not only was Jesus the son of God, but everything that he came to do was absolutely good news. And this good news Peter introduces, this is the message that Jesus came to give. It was, uh, it, it was very simple. It was the, uh, the time has come, meaning, meaning uh, um, the whole world has been waiting for this one thing. This is the message, the good news Jesus constantly was talking about. The kingdom of God has come near, meaning, meaning uh, um, God's kingship, God's rule, God's reign. The kingdom of God is near because the king is near. The king is in town. The kingdom of God is near because God has come near through Jesus. And then Jesus asked for an appropriate response, if you will, an appropriate uh, um, response from everyone who's hearing this good news. He says, hey, I repent and believe the good news. And we talked about it last week. This is not like a turn or burn, you know, run for the hills conversation, but a very simple invitation to turn in the direction that Jesus is inviting us into and, and embrace what he has. So really, the invitation from Jesus is to face it and embrace it. 
face it and embrace it. Turn in this direction and embrace what I'm telling you. This new king and this new kingdom, this new way of thinking, this new way of living. This is not just about what happens when you die, but it's a new way of living. And Jesus is inviting us to adopt a different worldview, to understand God in a different way, to understand the way that God sees you and the way that God sees the world and the way that God sees everything. We're invited into something totally different. And so last week, Peter ended the, the conversation with uh, um, the news about Jesus spreading quickly around the different regions. And so I pulled up this map for you last week, and just to help us geographically, Peter's going to kind of tell his story geographically. And so we, we looked at like, okay, Jerusalem's down here. This is the Sea of Galilee up here, Mediterranean Sea over here. And so at this point where we're picking up today, they're in the region of Galilee, and, and this is kind of where Peter and, and his bros are from. And, and you need to understand that Peter's going to tell his story via geography around this arena. And today we're looking at three disruptions, three paradigm-shifting, disturbing disruptions, three encounters from Jesus in the region of Galilee that are not just words about this new kingdom, but these are like sneak peeks. These are snapshots of what this kingdom looks like that Jesus came to introduce, and you have to know that, that everyone in this region, right, they had their own worldview, and so this is Jesus introducing a new way of thinking and a new way of living to everyone around him. And these, these three encounters, if you will, these three paradigm shifts that we see from Jesus uh, revolve around a couple of things. For the first one was the barriers of religion. We were going to see Jesus push up against the barriers of religion and begin to bring those down. We're going to see uh, Jesus push up uh, against the conversations of forgiveness of sin and if it's possible and, and, and what that looks like and how it's taken care of. And then we're also going to see the paradigm shift around acceptance of sinners because this was such a hot topic and such a hard thing for the religious elite to get their minds around. And here's what's really, really frustrating is that Jesus comes and he blows up these three barriers, right? He just takes them down. And then a few hundred years, you fast forward after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, a few hundred years later, the church actually reverses and puts back in the obstacles that Jesus came to tear down. And so maybe one of your issues, listen, maybe one of your issues for faith, one of your issues for religion, one of your issues for Jesus and the church and Christianity has to do with, with religion, right? It's this religious set of rules, regulations, and traditions that all just seem like a heavy burden and a waste of time, and it doesn't make a difference. And typically, everyone involved in them, man, either it's boring or it's full of shame or it's full of pride and arrogance, and it doesn't seem worth anybody's time. Or maybe a barrier for you is around the forgiveness conversation. Like, maybe you look at your life and what you have done, haven't done, what you said you would do that you didn't fulfill or follow up with, like whatever your, your thing is, and you're like, man, I don't know. Like, can I really have peace with God? Can I, can I really be forgiven? Or, or maybe it has to do with this acceptance of sinners thing. Like, like maybe on the outside looking in, you're like, man, I just, I don't know that I could fit in with that crew. Like, I don't know if I could ever be a good church person. And you have this idea and this paradigm and this perception that, like, I don't know if I could ever be that good, or at least I have a lot of work to do in order to be ready to follow Jesus. And I just want you to know, Jesus came to reverse the order of all of these things. And so we're going to kick it off right in the beginning, Mark chapter 1, verse 40. Jesus is cruising around Galilee, and a man with leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus. Now, again, this is a skin disease that, that uh, you know, is not treated by doctors the way that they treated in this season. It was really anybody with any kind of skin rash at all was isolated and separated from community. And so, I mean, they weren't allowed physical contact in the least bit. And so, I mean, you're talking about an incredibly heavy, depressing world of, of unable to live 
because you're separated from society, from society, but also unable to die. So this man with leprosy comes up to Jesus, and he's begging to be healed. And he said, if you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. I want you to catch something. Just when, it, when we have conversations around faith, sometimes it feels ambiguous. You're like, what, what does faith mean? Well, this is a good picture of faith. Let me show you what perfect faith looks like. It's very simply confident that he can, hopeful that he will. This leper shows up and he says, if you will, I know that you can. He's confident that he can, hopeful that he will. That is a perfect picture of faith as we have this conversation. Now let's go on. And he goes on and then moved with compassion. Jesus looks at the man and he reaches out and he does the absolutely unthinkable. You have to understand, Peter's with him. He's recounting this story. And in this moment, he probably shrieks like a little girl. Whoa, Jesus, you, oh, you, you cannot Touch the guy. Like, listen, you're Jesus, and we're starting to kind of figure it out. You should just say something. Don't, just don't touch him. Right? But then Jesus, filled with compassion, he reaches out and he touches the man. Now, you have to understand why this is such a big deal. Because in this moment, Jesus, Jesus is violating religious purity laws. And according to the law, he has to now travel to Jerusalem and make a sacrifice for his sin and be cleansed of the act of touching someone unclean. But watch what happens. The man said, or Jesus said, I'm willing be healed. Instantly, the leprosy disappeared. Bam, and the man was healed. G Peter's just telling us what he saw. Then Jesus sent him on his way with a stern warning. Don't tell anyone. Instead, go to the priest and let him examine you. Take along the offering required uh, in the law of Moses for those who have been healed of leprosy. This will be a public testimony, really important, public testimony that you have been cleansed. So pause for a second. Remember the map we were looking at? So we're up in Galilee. In order for this guy to go to the temple, he's got to travel all the way back down to Jerusalem, which is roughly a three-day journey, okay? And so this is a big deal for him to go all the way back down to Jerusalem to be healed. But here's what happens. Jesus tells the man to go back to the temple to follow the law of Moses in order to publicly verify what just happened, that Jesus healed him. But again, the law says that Jesus has to go too. And Jesus says, nah. <laughs> and he goes on. Now watch what happens next. And then uh, in verse 45, it says that, but the man did exactly what Jesus told him not to do, and he went and spread the word, proclaiming to everyone what had happened. And as a result, large crowds soon surrounded Jesus, and he couldn't publicly enter a town anywhere uh, because the crowds were so large, and so he had to stay out in the secluded places. But even in those areas, people from everywhere kept coming to him. See the significance here. I need you to hear me. The significance here is awesome, that Jesus is functionally operating in between. He sends the man back according to religious law in order to verify what happened, but then he himself doesn't go. He's demonstrating that there's this like already not yet, not yet paradigm happening of, of what I'm coming to do is doing away with the old and I'm introducing the new. And so this is an amazing, an amazing opportunity for Jesus to publicly say to everyone in the arena, hey, something new is happening. I'm the new king. This is a new kingdom. And, and so I want you to think about it for, for a second. Maybe, maybe what's kept you from Jesus is, is like the religious rules and regulations that he never asked you to follow. Right? This is Jesus pushing up against unnecessary religious rules that have isolated people from society and told them that they're not worthy of a relationship with God, and Jesus is pushing up against that. Maybe for you, a barrier has been re religious rules and regulations that Jesus never asked you to follow. 
Or maybe you're a follower of Jesus leaning in, and maybe what's keeping you from growing in your relationship with God, maybe what's keeping you from seeing your friends and family and coworkers and neighbors actually want what you have is because you have this little Pharisee in your heart that needs to get evicted, <laughs> right? That you have some rules and regulations that you've added to the equation that Jesus never asked you to add. My friend Vance Pittman says it this way. He says, I believe that religion sends more people to hell every year than anything else on the planet. And I think he's right. Because religion operating in an effort to make us right with God is never going to be enough. So Jesus came to do away with the old and introduce something new, that he was going to make a way for us that we couldn't make for ourselves. Going on in Mark 2, uh, again, there was that map I was showing you. We're in the, we're in the region of Galilee, and, and now they're going to go to the major city of Capernaum up here. And, uh, and this is um, uh, still still small town, so, so very, very rural area, but the major city in the arena. And so, again, Jesus is getting popular, and we see in Mark chapter 2 um, that uh, when Jesus returned to this area, the news spread quickly that he was there. And soon the house that he was staying was so packed with visitors, that there was no more room even outside the door. And so while he was preaching God's word, now remember, right, what's he preaching? The time has come, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, repent and believe, face it and embrace it. He's inviting everyone to be a part of this new king kingdom that, that he's introducing. And as he's doing this, four men arrive carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. And they couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. There's so many people. And so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Now, you just got to pause, right? We don't have time to talk about it. But okay, four guys show up, somebody's house. They get on top of the roof with a paralyzed guy. They start digging through his house, right? Where's the homeowner? Um, how'd they get him up there in the first place? There's a lot of questions that we can't ask right now. And then it says that they dig a hole through this guy's roof, whoever this is, and they lower the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. This is crazy, right? Now watch what happens next. This is amazing. Seeing their faith. You got to ask the question, right? How do you see faith? <laughs> confident that he can. Hopeful that he will. These four guys showed up confident that Jesus can and hopeful that he will heal their friend. And Jesus said to the paralyzed man, catch this, my child, your sins are forgiven. And then everybody there, they just groan and shudder a little bit because they're like, you can't say that. Like, you got to go to the temple. Where's the priest? Where's the offering? Where's the sacrifice? Like, like what do you think? Are you greater than the temple? You think you could just say something and all of a sudden this guy is healed? And I think the paralyzed guy kind of groans too because he's like, Thanks for that. <laughs> Not really why I'm here, but <laughs> thanks anyway. And so since some of the teachers of the religious law who were sitting there, check this out, thought to themselves. This is Peter remembering what happened. He thought, they thought to themselves, <laughs> what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. And then Jesus, right, you're kind of spooky. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. He looks at them and he says, why do you question this in your hearts? And I think Peter took a note. Note to self, this guy can heal lepers walk on water, and read minds. Okay, so don't forget. Why do you question this? Which one's easier? Jesus asked a huge question. To say to the paralyzed man that your sins are forgiven or to say stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? And there's this huge assumption operating in the background of the culture that you and I might not understand, and it's this. The assumption is that if uh, something is wrong with you, like this, this paralyzed man, for instance, if something is wrong with you, it's because 
you did something wrong. The assumption is that whatever your condition is the result of your behavior, that you're being punished and your sin's connected to your, your, your consequences, if you will. And, and I need you to understand, Jesus wholeheartedly rejects this assumption. While simultaneously, Jesus absolutely holds to a, a Genesis view of sin. And so get, get me on this, okay? Sin, Jesus would say, sin is still the problem, right? Like, like it's still the reason that I've come. Part of, part of the Genesis story is that sickness and death and everything broken in our world, all of that followed on the heels of sin. But there is not a one-to-one direct correlation between our sin and the, 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 the consequences that we receive, right? And so Jesus is still going to deal with sin, but he's going to operate out of a bigger a picture than what the religious leaders currently have. So watch what happens. Jesus says in verse 10, I believe, uh, so I will prove to you that the Son of Man, now Jesus is making a huge claim to be the Son of Man. He's saying, hey, I, I'm the Messiah. I'm the Son of God, okay? Um, that, now, I prove to you who I am, that I have the authority to forgive sins. Jesus turns to the paralyzed man and he says, stand up, pick up your mat and go home. You might ask the question, how do you prove that, that you're the son of God? How do, how do you prove that, that you uh, can forgive sins? And in this moment, what Jesus is doing is physically reversing the consequences of sin. He is demonstrating externally what he can do internally. He says, stand up, pick up your mat and go. And the man jumped up grabbed his mat, 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 and again, Peter's remembering all of this, walked out through the stunned onlookers because all of their jaws were on the floor. And check it out. They were all amazed and praised God, saying, we've never seen anything like this. This is like Peter saying, hey, guys, fact check me. I was not the only one there that, that day that saw Jesus do this. And so maybe, maybe for you, as you're listening to this story, this is one of those barriers that Jesus came to break down. And, and maybe you're on the other side of this conversation and you're wondering, man, like, would God forgive me? And can God forgive me? And Peter would look at you and say, listen to me, yes. And then Jesus would say, guys, the time has come. Repent. Face it. Embrace it. Accept what I say about you. And accept what I say about your sin. And embrace it. Believe. right? Believe that I see you. Jesus would say, I, I see you and I forgive you. right? This is the paradigm shifting moment that Jesus can deal with our brokenness internally and externally. And he goes on in, uh, in verse 14 uh, of Mark chapter 2. And Jesus is still going around the area. I'm sorry, verse 13. And Jesus went out to the lake shore. Again, they're just around the Sea of Galilee now. And again, uh, he, he's teaching crowds that were coming to him. And as they walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus. Now, don't miss the details here, okay? Levi, the son of Alphaeus. Peter knew the details here because this is an area that he's from, meaning it's not just Levi. Levi's a popular name. But he actually, Peter knew that this was Levi, son of Alphaeus, meaning he knew him personally, uh, that this tax collector that they're about to run into, Peter had a reputation with him. He probably haggled with him. And everybody hates this guy. He's a traitor. He's a crook. He's a Jew that sold out to the Roman government. He traded his people for money. Everyone hates the tax collector Levi. And Peter rolls up four deep with Jesus in his hometown. And he's probably a big deal traveling with the Messiah, right? I mean, he's kind of a big deal. I think he rolls up and they all see Levi sitting there and everybody hates his guts at his tap booth. And I, and I think Peter just kind of shrugs his shoulders a little bit and say, ah, 
What scum? And just look how, man, just disgusting. And then Jesus does something that freaks Peter out. Jesus looks at Levi and says, follow me and be my disciple. I think Peter will be like, whoa, 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 Jesus, come here. And he brings him over. Listen, man, I, I know, right, we touched the leper, and that was like, Jesus, a lot. But we, we get over that. Like, we're moving forward. We had a really good thing going for us. But I'm telling you, you do not want this guy in our crew. Everybody hates him. And we got a really good thing going. And then Peter's hoping in the back of, back of his mind that, that, that Levi's just going to say no. And then to his utter astonishment, <laughs> Levi gets up and he follows him. And, and I'd like to maybe just invite you for a second to reflect on it. Maybe this is why you're here. Maybe this is the whole reason you're tuning in today is because the kingdom of God has come near. And the big picture that Jesus is trying to communicate to his followers at this point and to the crowds and to the world around him is that everyone, everyone is invited to participate in this kingdom. Even a crook like Levi, a traitor like Levi. And Peter would later say, even a guy like me, arrogant, prideful coward. And I would tell you with confidence that even people like me who don't have their crap together are invited. And maybe you can believe that people like you are invited too. And I think at this point, Peter and James and John and Andrew, they all had to make a decision. Are they going to walk away from Jesus because they just invited someone terribly uncomfortable into their circle? Or is this a moment for them to repent and believe, to face it and embrace it, to adopt this new worldview and follow this new kingdom, king into his new kingdom, this paradigm shifting, earth shaking, radical, loving king. So let me ask you just a few questions as we wrap up our time, okay? Number one is this. What obstacles to God have you experienced in the past or are you currently experiencing? Just take a moment. Take it seriously. What obstacles have you experienced or are currently experiencing? And let me ask you this question. Are any of those obstacles something that Jesus actually put there? Or is it possible that they're baggage from a different version? Is there something that you've done or something that's been done to you that you struggle to believe can be forgiven? And maybe today this could be a glimpse of hope that what Jesus came to do is absolutely that. And lastly, is there an area of fear? Is there an area of insecurity? Is there an area of prejudice that Jesus is inviting you to trust him with? Is there part of your worldview that he is tweaking today? And would you be able, be, be able and be willing to face it and embrace it? And maybe for you, you're tuning in and you're not a follower of Jesus and you're wrestling with some of these conversations And maybe, just maybe, you're realizing that 
some of the struggles and some of the barriers had way more to do with wrong versions and bad examples and way less to do with what Jesus actually came to invite you into. And maybe today you're ready to take that step in that direction to face it and embrace it. That Jesus, I believe you are who you said you are. That you could do in my life what you said you would do. I want to follow you. I want to give you my life. I want my sins forgiven. I want to be made new. Not because I have all my stuff together, but because your love is so amazing. You could text in to the word follow. We would love to help you take some next steps and celebrate with you in that decision. We'll see you next week.